Welcome to Afternoon Delight, an ongoing conversation about branding, leadership, and most importantly, love. I'm Jay Rendon in San Francisco, and I'm joined by my co-host, Eric Solomon in New York City. Eric, good morning. Well, or good afternoon on, on your side. Yeah, and I think it's still afternoon on your side as well. So good afternoon, Jay. Actually, you know what? Yes, the day is getting away from me. It, it absolutely <laughs> is afternoon. Why does it feel like morning? Um, it could just be the lighting. What kind of lighting do you have out in uh, California these days? Well, I'm sitting in a dark room, my, my dungeon, ah. so, with, where the, the lighting is always the same. Okay, well, the sun sets around this time here in New York this time of year, so I'm, I'm right there with you. Excellent. So uh, this is our third episode, mm-hmm. and as we've said with the first two episodes, we're spending the launch of the podcast talking about the topics in our subhead, branding, leadership, and love. And mm-hmm. we've, well, I guess we've done those in reverse order. We did love for episode one, we did leadership in episode two, and this week we're talking about branding or what a brand means. Mm. And uh, before but before we dive into that, Eric, do you have a non sequitur for us? I, I, I'm always full of non sequiturs, but I have a, I had a particularly interesting one. Just last week, I, I had an opportunity to meet with the head of programming for the World Economic Forum, wow. which is a crazy because when, when you think, especially, you know, pertinent to the brand conversation, when you think about a company with a mission, they are committed to improving the state of the world. That is their mission. So talk about an intimidating conversation. But the non sequitur is that the woman that I talked to was just incredibly warm, open, really interested um, in especially how technology is changing the art of creative. And so it was really interesting just to to get a perspective from somebody who isn't in the industry. Um, and again, just kind of sitting in a place like the World Economic Forum is certainly inspiring. So quite a non sequitur, but not your everyday experience, Jay. I've I've heard of the World Economic Forum, but for any listeners that don't know anything about it, what's their purview? What are they what are they about? Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're most famous for sort of really uh, shaping the state of business in the, in the world today. And so they have a big meeting, uh, particularly a famous one uh, in Davos, uh, Switzerland, towards the beginning of every year. And really, industry leaders across the world, um, really the biggest bigwigs in the world, kind of come and gather to hear from all kinds of different perspectives about what the World Economic Forum can be doing to really advance the human species and to make the world more open, more connected, and really pushing the agenda of business um, globally. So they have a huge mission and um, just an incredible reputation. And they're just an excellent organization for anybody that doesn't know who they are. You should definitely check them out. Now, I, I find it interesting that they the conversation was around creativity. I've I know the World Economic Forum for talks that they host, obviously on economics and politics and even technology, mm-hmm. business matters. That, but creativity strikes me as uh, coming a little out of left field for them. No, it definitely is, and I mean it's it's interesting the way that creativity kind of came up was through the broader conversation of where is technology and especially machine learning and artificial intelligence going? What industries is it shaping? 
And they've really put together kind of a symposium series around a, a lot of different facets. And uh, creative transformation or creativity just happens to be one of them. And of course, given what we do, I was just fascinated to talk to talk to her more about that. Well, that's great. Well, I uh, look forward to hearing about your invitation to the Davos conference next year. <laughs> if only I were so lucky. Great. Well, um, let's dive into our topic. You know, brand is a lot like pornography. <laughs> it's a word everyone throws out. Everyone has a general sense of what they think it means to them. But virtually every time I see a definition, it says something different than what I think it is. Hmm. And I wonder, do you have a similar experience or do you come at it differently? No, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because even in my own head, if you were just to ask me on any given day, I wonder if I'd have consistency in my own definition, given that, you know, I think I know what it means, right? It's what we talk about all the time, but it does seem to be a moving target to some extent. And I just, I wonder about my own internal consistency in talking about it. Uh, now that you've mentioned it, I think I know, but I'm really curious to hear how you define it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you say that because I, I probably think the same thing. And I know that my opinions on it have changed <laughs> over time. Part of that may just be the state of the world, how much our industry has changed, the impact of technology. But like you, I wonder how consistent I am on any given day, on any given meeting, um, if I'm thinking about it, let alone communicating it in the same way. So when whenever I'm faced with a situation like this where I'm confronted with a word that I think I know what it means, but I'm not sure. You know, I always go back to the dictionary. And of course, in this context, it sort of seemed if we're going to go back to some original text, we'd go back to the master. And of course, I'm speaking of David Ogilvy. <laughs> Essentially, his definition uh, revolved around the idea of the intangible sum of a product's attributes. And I think that that's really interesting from the standpoint that he focused on a phrase that I completely agree with, the intangible sum part of it. Uh -huh. the, the fact that he ascribed that to a product's attributes, I think is A, indicative of the fact he was an ad guy <laughs> and he uh, was an ad guy in a particular time when the definition of brand was much more attributed to, <clears throat> excuse me, products as opposed to companies. And I think that's part of the shift that has happened over the years, over the decades. I think a way of sort of expanding on that is everything the public, the general public, right? Consumers, partners, competition, the press thinks they know about your offering. So beyond just the, the literal products that you provide, everything that uh, you, you do, both factual it's sweet, it's expensive, it's made in the USA, or emotional, um, it's cool, it helps me feel smarter, it makes me see the world differently. What's, what's, so inter what's so interesting about that definition is that, you know, and I, I'd love to even think about this as, as we chat further, is this idea of, it's kind of similar how you even think about people. Yeah. Um, and that definition feels uh, somewhat more human, especially as expectations of companies have changed. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It still, to me, feels like um, the word offering, which is a, a squishier word, obviously, than product, it still feels like it is focusing on um, the things that are created, which nowadays uh, aren't obviously products. It could be about content. Yeah. Um, it could be uh, about uh, events. It could be about um, 
uh, charitable work, all that kind of thing. Um, but it still feels very much like it's about what a company does as opposed to who a company is. Mm. Um, and I think that you and I probably have a more holistic view on the definition of brand, that it's more about the people. And if we zoomed in even tighter, probably coming from the leadership on some level, but we're focusing on the organization's beliefs, practices, and how it's viewed by its stakeholders, to which I will include customers, employees, shareholders, partners. And and that really is, on this day, the way that I think about brand, that it is, it's, it can be all of those things. And it can be everything that an organization does, says, or is, from how it answers the phone, how it finances its deals, the materials to make their products, whether their trucks use biodiesel or what city their headquarters are located in. All of those are a brand decision. The capstone for me, and and particularly when I think about the type of work that we do, is I think it, that it's about the myths and the legends that companies tell about themselves or organizations tell about themselves. The journey that they are on the fights that they pick, the villains that it identifies and the heroes uh, that they idolize. All those other things are uh, seem to come as a result of, of that. And it doesn't really matter if any of that is made around uh, a considered, uh, uh, established, a, w- a well-communicated organizing principle, uh-huh. which, let's be frank, most companies don't have that well-defined a brand whether or not that they've articulated it out into the world. But even if you don't, it's important to understand that every company has a brand by default. Absolutely. It doesn't matter if if they've taken the time. It is either well articulated and therefore can be an asset, or it is not articulated at all, in which case, at best, it's it's a neutral thing. It's not hurting anything. It's not helping anything. But the brand exists. And again, that I think that comes back to the leaders of that organization through their influence, through their worldviews, are making decisions that impact their customers, their employees. And I think of that as their brand. I think that's super interesting, Jay. I didn't, uh, I, I just, uh, that idea of the brand being there by default, whether or not you craft it into something or not, is probably not a definition most people have heard about. This idea that it, it's dormant within you and it's really up to people like you and me to help unearth what that is some of the time. But it's just an interesting idea, right? That it's always there. Um, it's a matter of how you articulate it or if you do. Yeah, yeah. Now, given that, I'm curious, you've spent more time on the client side than I have. And I wonder where on that spectrum of, obviously, there are the brands that we all know and admire, the Nikes and Apples and Patagonias of the world that mm-hmm. think a lot about their brand and how they then communicate that brand in, in various ways to the world. And then there are companies at the other end of the, the spectrum that you know don't give that any thought. Yeah. In your experiences on both on the client side and then also in your consulting work and talking to company leaders, is it really a bell curve? Do you think that most people sort of live somewhere in the in the center of that spectrum or how do you see the field before you? It it changes a lot depending on the movement of the wind. 
um, sometimes people are really willing and open to have a conversation, a deeper conversation about what brand is. Um, and then a lot of times, especially with newer companies, they're so maniacally focused on user acquisition or performance that the idea of doing that at the risk of spending time and resources on brand questions or on that more fundamental work isn't always top of mind. But I have found, you know, one way, you know, as you, as you know, I've worked so much in, in technology companies and even a lot of the, the work that I do now is a lot with tech companies. I, I found the way to describe it to them really resonates when you start to talk about brand as, as an operating system. And it's very similar to what you're talking about, which is it's everything an organization does because in technology, what an operating system does is supports basic functions that enable more complex things to happen. And that's exactly true of where I think, you know, if you have your brand installed um, to keep up with that metaphor, it's what enables the more complex stuff to happen. And it's really the thing that allows you to clarify what your purpose is. Um, And I think in order to do it, you know, I think one of the biggest conversations has been around this idea of what do you believe? Um, And it starts to take on a a very different connotation when you're not saying, what does your brand stand for? But what is your brand belief? What, what do you actually believe at the heart of it? And that's, that's where I've netted out. So I think people are really open to that question. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, a, f- a few interesting things, uh, changes that I've seen over the last certainly couple decades. Um, one has been, um, you know, you mentioned technology and um, it's very easy for uh, particularly B2B technology companies uh, or I wouldn't say very – it is not uncommon for, for B2B technology companies to not spend a whole lot of time mm-hmm. thinking about brand uh, because they feel that the products speak for themselves. Um, mm-hmm. That certainly was true uh, when I started in this industry, um, and that has evolved, that I think it's not that uncommon that we see – we meet with startups often that are B2B that um, you would expect are should be completely focused on trying to actually create their products, mm. um, trying to make their products better, more competitive. And yet I think that they have uh, – there's there's market pressure – uh, for them to become much more sophisticated and present a brand that feels well thought out and sophisticated. And so that is a fairly recent change that I have seen, again, particularly in B2B companies and even more so in the technology space. I've seen very, very similar things. You know, I, I'd say the piece, the question that I have as we're kind of going all through this is what, you know, organizations that do this well, whether they're B2B, B2C, whether they're big, small technology companies or not, what really makes a company do a good job with the question of brand? Uh, Paul and I were fortunate for a number of years to to work for Apple and obviously, they have a lot of very talented people there. They've spent a lot of time thinking about brand. I would actually say that the thing that I was most impressed by when it came to sharing their brand with the world was actually discipline. Mm. And I think that that is something that most most organizations that are really good at leveraging their brand, at sharing it with uh, other folks is that they are very disciplined about doing that. First off, they uh, they have to have the discipline to 
form an articulation that is compelling and obviously true to begin with, but then they need to maintain that discipline and apply it to, again, not just their marketing, but to everything that they, that they do. Wow. Um, some of the most interesting conversations I've had at Apple uh, about brand have been with HR folks. Because I think that is another change that has happened over the last couple decades is that the idea of brand, I have yet to meet uh, an HR uh, person that doesn't immediately understand the value of brand. I have found the exact same thing. I, I think it's increasingly an understanding, and I think HR folks get this better than most people do, that you can't really build a brand externally until you know what you are internally and they're the stewards of that internal brand to some extent, not the marketing folks. And so it makes a lot of sense that they would care. And I've often found usually when we engage with a new client, we create a short list of the people that we want to have conversations with. And a lot of them are the people that you'd expect, obviously, the, the people that brought us in, which is often the CMO and the CEO. But I always, if uh, the client doesn't put this person on the list, I always try and get the uh, head of HR added to the list because I always find that a lot of the conversations that I have with the rest of the C-suite about brand are, as you can imagine, very outward focused. What they, how they want to be perceived out in the marketplace, how they want to be seen by whether it's analysts or customers, partners, whereas the HR person has a very different lens and it's it's a much less abstract concept for them because they're trying to hire people mm -hmm. keep people happy and yes a large part of that is uh, obviously compensation and benefits and that but as you've mentioned on previous podcasts in this day and age people want to believe that not only the work that they're doing but the place that they're doing that work has something that they can believe in. And for most, if not all HR people that I've ever spoken to, that's a very tangible issue that they wrestle with of like, how do I communicate that? That's right. That's right. In a way that's compelling, because guess what? You know, certainly here in Silicon Valley, anyone who's trying to hire anyone, that if that person is any good at what they're doing, they've probably got offers up and down the valley and um, a, a large part of what HR people are, are communicating is the sense of here's what, but here our brand stands for X and this is something that you should believe in. I think that's right. And I want to go back to, you, you were talking about discipline, which I think is a really fascinating idea, right? When it comes to how do you establish this? What does it mean for a brand to be disciplined? What do they do? How do they act when they're disciplined? The first part of it is being able to identify one big core idea. Hmm. That's really hard to distill everything down to, to one notion. And of course, the best brands, they do that and the rest of us go, well, of course it's that. It could never be anything else. But that requires a lot of saying no. I mean, and that really is what, when it comes down to it, that's what discipline is. It's saying no a lot, whether it's saying no to nine out of 10 ideas that come down the pike in terms of what a company should be doing, how it should be 
talking about itself to every action they take that doesn't have to do with marketing communications. It's about what are you excluding that? And that's very hard when, you know, something seems easy, something seems like it could make you a lot of money. Uh, it's difficult to say no. So I think that that's, that's one part of it. Choosing one thing, but more importantly, yeah. not choosing the other 99 things. Mm-hmm. And that really comes down to, you know, so then how do you make that choice? What is that? How do you decide on that one thing? And I always tell clients, there are a lot of truths here. One of them is going to be more true than all the others. One of them is going to be more compelling than all the others. Mm. Something needs to rise above the rest. If you think of it in architectural terms, every stone in the foundation is doing its job, but the cornerstone is slightly more important than all the rest. Everything gets aligned against that stone. Whether we talk in terms of cornerstones or the red thread that runs through everything or aligning to a North Star, choose your metaphor. Mm -hmm. Figuring that out makes every decision you make after that I won't go so far as to say it makes them easier, but it does make them more obvious. <laughs> if you know kind of what you stand for, it often makes very clear how you should proceed. One question I always get, Jay, especially from startups is, when, when do you do the work of uncovering or finding that idea? When is the right time to do that? And when isn't it the right time to do that? It's never going to be easier than it is today. The more a company grows, the more people that get brought into the equation, the more potentially diluted the vision of the company gets. The interesting thing is, is that it doesn't typically change. It just makes revealing what was true on day one more difficult on day 1,000 or, you know, 10,000. Mm. And that's because the the brand, that core idea is not something that you create out of uh, thin air. It is always there. And it's something I, you know, I've, and I've mentioned this before is when we're working with companies, I, I don't think of myself necessarily as a writer. I think of myself more as an archeologist. It's something that needs to be uncovered. And the challenge is trying to dig that out and, and being able to identify it once you've stumbled upon it. And like I said, that usually is something that existed very early on in the company's formation. Wow. Um, I, I like that idea a lot. Um, I mean, it sounds tricky. It sounds tricky to do this. Yeah, it's, it's not easy. And a lot of times uh, when you don't do it, what you end up doing is you create these random acts of marketing, although they aren't limited to just marketing. But you do a bunch of things that are creative or fun or wacky or clever or inspirational, but they're not leveraging the spirit that exists to build something that is greater and uh, has more meaning than just the individual articulations. No, that, that makes a ton of sense. One example that I often think about years ago, we did some work for a resort, Carmel Valley Ranch, and in trying to figure out what their brand was about and how to communicate that to other people, uh, we landed on this idea of play, sophisticated play. Uh, it was it's a resort that is, although it's a very nice resort, it's got great you know thread uh, count on its sheets, but that's not what it's trying. <laughs> Uh, that's not how it's trying to win business. What it's trying to do is create experiences. And those experiences are really tapping into an adult's nostalgic view on what childhood is like. Mm -hmm. 
So it's not being childish, but it's tapping into that sort of very kind of Americana, you know, mid-century idealized view on childhood. And that notion of the, the most precious memories are are those where you were connecting with another person, your best friend, your grandfather, whoever that was. And it didn't really matter what you're doing. And it didn't matter, you know, how how much money was spent on that experience. It was just the experience itself. And in trying to come up with different ways that beyond uh, just programming that they were going to have at the resort that gave people these experiences, they also wanted that spirit to live in as many places as possible throughout you know, every touch point imaginable within the property and even before people got to the property. And one of the ideas, just one of the ideas that we had was this notion that every employee during their employee training from the chef to the groundskeeper, every employee always had to have a small square piece of paper in their pocket and that a guest should be able to come up to you and ask you to fold an origami crane. You would stop what you're doing and fold it for him and, and give it to him. And, you know, to be honest, this was sort of a, a secret something that they never publicized to uh, in any of their marketing materials. They let it kind of seep out there. As soon as people heard of it, they understood, oh, yeah, of course, because, you know, having sort of secret handshakes and secret rituals, that's tapping into this this idea of being playful that we all think about uh, from our childhood. Absolutely. I I mean, I just, uh, I've never once uh, done any origami at work. I can only imagine. uh, But really, you've got me daydreaming about going to a resort right now. So uh, I think that did the trick. I've been transported to Carmel Valley Ranch. (laughs) Well, great. Well, Eric, it's been uh, great talking with you. Likewise, thank you for the insights on this. Um, I really, I, I think that my thinking has shifted during this conversation. So I'm hoping that everybody else feels that way too. Fantastic. Well, until next time, Eric, have a great week. You too. Take care. This has been Jay Rendon and Eric Solomon for Afternoon Delight, a Novio Brandcast. If listening to us has been indeed a delight, Please subscribe, review, and rate us on whatever podcast platform you're partial to. To make a connection, give us feedback, ask a question, even just say hi, you can email us at pod at novio.com, visit us at novio.com slash afternoon delight, or find us on Twitter at afternooner. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>